0: Head over to whitechapelchurch.com to get more info. Enjoy the sermon and be blessed.
1: Thank you, Pastor Michael, for your kind words. Um, I just want to take a moment uh, to just honor Pastor Michael here because um, the nice things that he said about us, well, they're true about him as well. We know, I hope you know, that Pastor Michael, he... He sits with the Lord Um, and Pastor Jordan and I, we get kind of a, a front row, or I guess a backstage seat to that and get to have a lot of conversations with him. And I just want you as the church to know that our pastor sits with the Lord and he hears from him. And um, his heart for not only this church, but the church is so genuine and evident. Um, And I know that Jordan and I, we are so thankful for you and Melissa and Abby and Lucy. Your whole family has a special place in our hearts. So we love you guys, so thank you. Yeah. Um, I also feel like before I really start, I just want to point out how awesome was worship this morning. We had four 14-year-olds on stage. Or I'm sorry, three 14-year-olds on stage, an 18-year-old. And I've kind of gotten to see, Now I'm not musical at all. I leave that to my husband. Um, but I've gotten to kind of witness these young people grow in um, their skill and their talents. And the fact that they want to give those talents to God is, is just really inspiring. And so thank you guys for your willingness and the rest of the worship team as well. I don't want to overlook you guys, but for all the time that you guys put in. <clears throat> okay. So, Pastor Michael mentioned that we are to be a refuge of grace, and that's been over the last five weeks, if you can believe it, it's February, right? We're moving right along in 2022, and over the last five weeks, we've been talking about being a refuge of grace, right? And I believe that in order for that to happen, it starts with each of you that are here today. If you call Whitechapel Church your home, it starts with you and your individual walk with God, amen? Amen. So it starts with us, and that's what I really want to focus on today. I've simply named um, the sermon today, A Faith That Lasts. And so we're going to talk about that. We're going to talk about becoming mature in our faith. We're going to talk about our individual walk with the Lord. And God actually gave me this word quite some time ago, and I've had a lot of time to sit in it, to um, study it, and I've really been preaching to myself a lot. And so this has really challenged me but it's also encouraged me. And so that's been my prayer for today, that this word would challenge you, but that it would also encourage you. Amen? So we are gonna be in Hebrews today, but before I dive in, I just wanna say a quick prayer, if that's all right with you guys. Um, Lord, thank you so much for today. Thank you for the awesome worship this morning, that we could just give you all the honor and praise that you deserve. Lord, I pray that it wouldn't be me speaking this morning, but Holy Spirit, that you would just uh, be overflowing in this place, that you would be speaking through me, Lord. I pray that you would open our hearts to what you have to say to us this morning. Amen. All right, so we're going to be in Hebrews today, if you brought your Bibles and you want to follow along. We're going to be in the end of Hebrews 5 and then parts of Hebrews 6. So let's just uh, jump in here. We need a little context before we read it. Um, We don't know who the author of Hebrews is. Uh, We don't know for sure. But we do know that in this particular passage, he is talking to uh, Jesus-believing Jews, okay? So they've been converted, they, they love God, and this author, we're gonna find out here in a minute, that he has some concerns. So Hebrews five eleven through 14 says, we have much to say about this, but it is hard to make it clear to you because you no longer try to understand. In fact, though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you the elementary truths of God's word all over again. You need milk, not solid food. Anyone who lives on milk, being still an infant, is not acquainted with the teaching about righteousness, but solid food is for the mature who, by constant use, have trained themselves to distinguish good from evil. So we immediately see the concern that he has, right? They should be teachers. So that tells us that they have um, believed in Jesus for quite some time now. But he tells us in that very first verse that they're no longer trying to understand, and they need to be taught these elementary truths, the the ABCs of their faith, if you will, all over again. Does anyone in here remember learning their ABCs? I know that was longer ago for some of us, not as long for others. But I remember when I learned my ABCs, right? I think I was in kindergarten, I was five years old, and I know I had to have driven my mother insane because we would be in the car and I would just sing my ABCs. And even worse than that, we were learning how to count to 100 And so I'd be like, Mom, listen, I can count to hundred, and I would make her listen to me count to 100 in the car. And so I know that had to have driven her insane, but but the ABCs, I'm 30 years old now, right? And if all I knew were my ABCs, that's not of much use to me, that's not as much use to you. That, That doesn't make sense, right? Like, I had to actually try, right? We see that they're not trying anymore to learn, they're not trying to understand they're not striving after knowledge, but when you're young, you're excited, you're learning your ABCs, it's an exciting thing, you've never known it before, and now you take that knowledge and you progress it, right? We're all about progress. And so I learned eventually how to spell, I learned how to read, I learned how to write sentences, I started to learn how to write short stories, and then eventually, you know, by the time I was in college, I could write 15-page you know, papers. So, so we learn our ABCs, but we don't stop there. And that's the concern here in the scriptures. They've learned the ABCs of their faith. They've learned about God. They've given their lives to him. But they stopped there. Progression, this is the key, is progression doesn't happen without effort, right? You have to try. You have to put in the effort if you want to see the results. If you don't try, you're not going to get very far, right? And so, I really think that us humans, we are all about progress. Let me explain. Like, we get into school, right? The goal is to get from kindergarten to first grade, right? Then first grade to second grade, and so on. And so we finally get to our senior year of college, and then, and then we graduate, and then our goal is maybe to go straight into college. And our goal then is to get a degree. We keep progressing in our knowledge. Or maybe after high school, you went straight into the military, and your goal was to, to rise up in the ranks. Or maybe you went straight into the workforce, and your goal was um, you know, to progress at your, in your career, to climb that ladder, to get that promotion to get that pay raise, to get that bonus, right? And then we look at relationships. And this is where I really want to hone in on here. We look at our relationships. You make a friend, right? You don't just become really good friends by spending an hour a week with them, right? You, you put an effort. You, you hang out with them. You get to know them. You ask them questions. You deepen that friendship, right? And then if you get into a romantic relationship, the goal is progress until it's not, right? But the goal is progress, right? You want to progress in that relationship to see if maybe that person could be your person for life, right? If I told Jordan when we started dating, I'm really sorry, but I only have one hour a week that I can give to you. Well, we we probably wouldn't be here today then. We probably wouldn't have gotten married. You probably would have said, peace out. That's, That's not enough. I need a little more from you, right? I need a little more effort. And I think that, well... I love my husband. Anybody in here love Pastor Jordan? Come on, come on, he's the best. I could stand up here and I could talk about him forever but I'm not gonna do that. But I do love him so much, I've been so blessed to have him. And um, we're coming up on two years of marriage here, Um, April 2nd, yeah, two years. I know some of you are rolling your eyes because you're like, I've been married longer than you've been alive, but just hear me out. Okay? Just hear me out. I think, I know that I still have a lot to learn, right? It's only been two years. I know I've got a lot to learn, but I just want to see if I can maybe impart some wisdom that I've learned in the two, almost two years that I've been married. And so the first thing is, marriage is hard work. Amen? (laughs) Marriage is hard work. It is. And you know that going into it, but you don't really fully understand it until you're in it, right? So marriage is hard work, but When you put in the work, the blessings that come out of it, you can't even really put them into words, right? When you put in the hard work to your marriage, you see your marriage grow, you see it flourish. And so that's the first thing I've learned. The second thing is that I actually, I don't really have to do something to hurt my marriage. I just have to do nothing, right? I don't have to do something. Now, of course, I could do something to hurt our marriage, but I think more times often than not, marriages get hurt because someone simply just stops trying. If tomorrow I decided that I was gonna just stop communicating with my husband, if I was gonna stop checking in on him, if I was gonna stop, stop showing him that I care, if I was gonna just stop trying, that's gonna hurt him, that's gonna hurt us, right? Pretty simple, we know this. I'm not preaching anything new, but I think that the reason this happens is we get this, this temptation of complacency in our, in our relationships. Right? We get so comfortable that we start to get complacent and we start to stop trying. And may I suggest to you that we do the same thing in our relationship with God. We know that marriage isn't the end goal, right? That's just the beginning. The day you say, I do, that's the start of something new. The day that we say yes to God, the day that we say, yes, Jesus, you're my Savior, I want to live my life for you, that's not the end of it, that's just the beginning, And we have to avoid this temptation of becoming complacent. We have to avoid this temptation of not trying. Because the second we do that, we're going to start regressing, right? You might stay in the same place for a minute, for a little bit, but relationships take effort. And it's not the end goal. The goal, ultimately, is growth, right? We receive our salvation and we grow in that. We jumped down to 13 and 14 that we already read. I'll I'll read it one more time. Anyone who lives on milk, still being an infant, is not acquainted with the teaching about righteousness. But solid food is for the mature, who by constant use have trained themselves to distinguish good from evil. And now two weeks ago, Pastor Michael actually, actually spoke on righteousness for a moment. It was one of his points. And he simply said, righteousness is right relationship with God. Pretty easy, sometimes I think that word can scare us, but righteousness, it's right relationship with God. And he he was equating it to to, um, food, right? We're supposed to crave righteousness. We're supposed to crave to be in right relationship with God. That should never go away. Just as every day we get hungry and we eat, every day we should be hungry for the word. Right when we wake up, every day we should be hungry for the word, and he went further and he said, we have to be guarding our hungers and thirsts. I love that part because we have to be on the offense and the defense, right? We have to actually guard our hungers and thirst. When you become a newborn Christian, when you become new in Christ, you now have new hungers and thirsts. But what the author is concerned about here is that the Jesus-believing Jews are gonna go back to their old ways. They're gonna go back to their old faith. He's concerned that they're gonna fall into that temptation, that they're gonna go back to their old fleshly desires. Um, last week... Last week I was in a kids' church volunteering with the elementary kids and believe it or not, they actually, their whole lesson was on Hebrews 5.13. And I, I looked at Miss Sarah and I was like, that's really cool, I'm preaching on that next week. And I was paying attention to kind of see like, how they would um, teach you know, elementary age kids this lesson. I was really interested in that because it's obviously going to be a bit different than what I'm going to do today, but I loved this and I just had to share it. The, the whole point, like the main takeaway point that kept coming up on the screen, it's a video we show them, it said, no more baby stuff, it's time to grow up. And I loved that, and, and one of our students, he just kept saying it. He, he loved it too, he thought it was great. No more baby stuff, it's time to grow up. And so we look at this analogy of, of a newborn baby who, who craves this milk, right? And we know, like, Jordan and I don't have any kids ourselves yet, but, but I know that babies need milk, right? When they're born, they need milk, but they only need it for a time. And they need to be fed it, right? They can't feed themselves. And so when we get saved, we need to be fed for a little bit. But it's only for a time. And now, because I don't have kids, I didn't really know how long that time was, so I went to the experts, I texted my sister-in-laws who have kids under two, and I asked him, hey, how, uh, when did you start introducing solid food to, to Solomon? And when did you start introducing food to, to Reese? And I found out that they were different. Solomon started getting sol- solid food around four and a half, five months, and Reese started getting it around six. So there's not a one-size-fits-all, right, for this. But we do have to move on eventually, we can't just be getting fed and fed and not feed ourselves, right? We can't just be here for one hour a week and expect to be close to God. Eventually, we know that if a, if a child, if a baby stays on milk, they're going to stop growing if they're not getting the right nutrients, right? And eventually, if you keep doing that, they're going to start regressing, right? And it's the same thing with our Faith if we just sit still in it, we can't expect to stay where we're at. And the beautiful thing is we have the word of God and this is all we need, right? To grow. He gave us everything we need. We we have to be feeding ourselves. It's imperative to our faith. And I loved this last week. Um, Pastor Michael said, are you going to be with him? And I loved that because I was thinking about this. We often talk about how God is living in me, but do we often ask ourselves Am I living in him? He's in me, but am I in him? He's by my side, but am I by his? He's blessing me. Am I blessing him? And I think if we changed our perspective, if we kind of flipped the script and we started asking God, hey, what can I do to serve you? What can I do to build your kingdom? Instead of, God, please do this for me and do this and and help me grow. And these are all great things to ask. He wants us to ask these things. Don't get me wrong. But how often are we asking God, what can I do for you? Are we living in him? We know he's living in us, but are we living in him? Okay. So how do we do this? How do we grow? How do we become mature in our faith? How do we have a faith that lasts? I have three just practical steps I want to give you guys today. And now the first one, um, we're going to find this in Hebrews 6, 1 through 3. It says, Therefore, let us move beyond the elementary teachings about Christ and be taken forward to maturity. Not laying again the foundation of repentance from acts that lead to death and of faith in God, instruction about cleansing rites, the laying of hands, the resurrection of the dead, and eternal judgment, and God permitting, we will do so. And so my first point is, your faith has a foundation. That's where we have to start, right? A.W. Tozer once said, what comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. And I have to say, I think I agree with him, because your foundation is simply what you believe about God, right? And if I'm being honest, um, I never thought a whole lot about foundation until September of 2017. And I had, um, I was 25 years old, I moved from Orlando over to New Smyrna, and I decided to buy a house, okay? I was single, I'd never owned a home before, only 25 Thank you to my dad and my brothers and my mother who helped me because I bought a fixer-upper, okay? And six weeks into owning this home, two things happened that made me think, maybe this was a bad idea. First, Hurricane Matthew. And I know it wasn't that bad in comparison to other hurricanes we've had, but it flooded my house, right? I'd lived in it for four weeks, and my house got flooded. And um, it, it ruined the laminate floors that we had just, well, that my dad and my brothers had just laid, and, and then we had to rip them all out, right? And so now I'm on this like, terrazzo floor, but not like the nice shiny Publix, like it was like old and grungy and had stains all over it. And so now I've got this nasty terrazzo floor. And about a week after that, I realized that every time I showered, the tub was filling up with water instead of draining. And so you know what the first thing I did was, right? Come on. I called my dad. I'm single. I'm 25. I've owned a home for six weeks. I have no idea what I'm doing. I call my dad, and luckily he, he is really good at all that stuff. God bless him. He's done so much for my house. And I'll spare you all of the details, but so long story short, we, they figure out, okay, this is the problem. Here's the solution. My dad and my oldest brother, Brett, they were like, we're going to come fix this for you for free. Again, amazing. And I never thought much about foundation until I came home not knowing what exactly they were going to do. I was just like, cool, thanks, yeah, fix it. I'll see you later. And so I came home, and so just keep in mind, I have a short video to show you, but before I do that, just keep in mind, I'm, remember, I'm 25, I'm single, I've owned a home for six weeks, um, and this is, this is what I walked into when I got home. <sighs> yeah. Um, so that's, that's my brother, um, removing the old, disgusting pipe. I was like, that's the pipe that was in my house? Like, that's gross. And I got home, and I'm not going to lie, I was kind of like, what are you guys doing? Like, the issue is the pipe. Why is there a 10-foot hole in the middle of my house? And now, all of a sudden, I'm like, okay, I know foundation's important, right? I just kind of forgot about it until I saw a big, gaping 10-foot Long, one foot wide hole in my house, and I—I I didn't say this to them, but I was just like, "I hope they know what they're doing." Like, <laughs> this doesn't—this looks way worse than it did before. And I took a still shot for you. Um, but here's the point of that. So as I was preparing this sermon, I thought of this, and I think that obviously, I think I have another picture of what it looks like now. Yeah. So that's what it looks like now. And we didn't lay the tile on top of the hole, right? They filled the hole in. They replaced the pipe, they filled the hole in. We had to fix the foundation before we could start building on it. And as I was thinking about this, I thought, I would never leave my house with a 10-foot hole in it. But for so much of my own life, I walked around with holes and cracks all over my faith's foundation. And how much more important is our, the foundation of our faith than the foundation of our home? We know that the foundation is, is so important because it, it is vital to the structural integrity of the home, right? Like if the foundation is off at all, the home is going to suffer. It might fall, you might get cracks up in the walls, but if I wouldn't leave my own home like this, why would I do that with my faith's foundation? No one's ever laid, I love, I love what it says, it says, not laying again the foundation, right? No one's ever laid a foundation with the intent to lay it again. They lay it once and for all, right? And then they build upon it. They don't build next to it, they build upon it. And the foundation, it can't be forgotten like I forgot it. It's there, you know it's there, and now you build your life upon that foundation. And here's the thing, as you build, you have to build it, it's it's God's word, right? We're building our life on God's word. And God's word, it's a lot like deodorant right? It's a lot like deodorant. It doesn't work if you don't apply it, right? And some of us, I won't point fingers, but some of us need to apply multiple times a day, right? You've got to apply it. You can't forget about it, and as we build upon God's Word, then we actually have to put Jesus as the cornerstone, okay? God's Word tells us that Jesus is the cornerstone, and I had to look up the definition of this, okay? It's the rock upon which the weight of the entire structure rests. So even though we have our foundation, if we start to build and we forget about our foundation, we forget about Jesus, we're gonna come tumbling down. He's gotta be the cornerstone, he's gotta be what everything about your life rests on. right? It's so easy to let our finances, our families, um, our jobs, right, our careers, our, our kids, it's so easy to let them slip into our foundation. But that's not what God has for us. If we have anything in our foundation other than Jesus Christ, it's gonna come down at some point. It can't be 75% Jesus, it's gotta be 100%. So our foundation, it can't be forgotten, it has to be built upon, right? So your faith, it has a foundation. Point number two, Hebrews 6, seven through eight says, land that drinks in the rain, often falling on it, and that produces a crop useful to those for whom it is farmed, receives the blessing of God. But land that produces thorns and thistles is worthless and is in danger of being cursed. In the end, it will be burned. And so point two is that your faith has fruit, okay? As we begin to build our lives upon God's word, we should be producing a useful crop to other believers. I think that this, we see this all the time. Two Christians can hear the exact same word. They can go to the same church, the same Bible study, live similar lives, but we have one who's a productive Christian, right, who's producing good crops, and then we have one who's producing thorns and thistles. You can hear the same thing, but it all depends on the soil it's falling on, right? It all depends on your heart. And I think um, the reference here where it says that uh, at the end, in the end it will be burned, the thorns and thistles, right? This might have caused you to think about hell because we do have this passage from John where Jesus says that if you don't remain in him, then you're like a branch that is thrown into the fire. And so I just want to point this out real quick. These analogies, they, they are very similar, right? But they mean different things. Now, the, the scripture in John, it does, it is referring to hell, Okay? That scripture is referring to hell, but this scripture is actually referring to our purification, our pruning, right? In ancient times, this is why uh, the context is so important, in ancient times, they would often burn a field that was producing unproductive crops, thorns and thistles, and they would burn the field, and that would destroy those crops, not the field, right? It destroyed the crops, and it made room for useful crops. And so to me, this is... This is almost a message of hope, right? God says, come to me just as you are. I don't care what you've done. I don't care who you've been. I don't even care who you are right now. Come to me just as you are, thorns and thistles, all of it, and we're gonna take care of that together, right? He doesn't make you burn all of the bad, all the sin away before you come to him. He says, come to me just as you are, and we're gonna take care of this. We're gonna get rid of these bad crops. We're gonna get rid of the thorns. We're gonna get rid of the thistles, and we're gonna replace them with fruit, that is useful to the kingdom of God, that is useful to other believers. It's burned away to make room for good crops. And so as we continue to build our lives, there's gotta be fruit present. And the thing is, we are all producing something, right? So the question is that you need to ask yourself is, what am I producing? Is what I'm producing useful to the believers around me? Or am I actually a hindrance? Am I producing thorns and thistles? I think it's so important to continually be checking in on ourselves. James 2.8 says, But someone will say, You have faith, I have deeds. Show me your faith without deeds, and I will show you my faith by my deeds. There's a heavenly rain that is descending upon us, right? So what are we doing with it? We know that useful crops, they don't just happen, right? there is growth that has to happen before that. You don't plant a seed and then the next day it's there, right? There is a growth over time that happens. And I think that oftentimes when we pray and we ask for for growth, we don't often associate it with growing pains. Does anybody remember middle school? Wasn't it the worst? Sorry for my middle schoolers in here. But for me, it was the worst. I'm gonna share a pretty embarrassing photo with you all. This is me uh, in seventh grade, I'm 13. As you can see, there were some real growing pains, right? I hadn't grown into my ears yet. Um, I was getting ready, uh, sun-kissed, I don't know, I haven't had one of those in a while, but I hadn't, um, I I was getting ready for a choir concert, and um, I thought, I guess, that just slicking my hair back was a good look. And, And I had braces, and those were painful, right? But there's actually more to the picture. If you can tell, this is actually half of a picture. If you go to the next one, there's the whole picture. Okay, I did get my friend's permission to use this. Um, Her name is also Jordan. She's still my best friend to this day. But what you couldn't see in the first photo that you can see now is that I was also a giant. (laughs) Okay, I was like 13, five foot five. I was always the tallest kid in my grade. Right. And what you don't know is that Jordan, she was my tallest friend. Right? That was my tallest friend, so I stuck out like a sore thumb, and I absolutely hated it. I hated it. I've learned to love it. I'm, I'm still tall, right? But I grew four inches in one summer, right, to get to like 5'9", five 5'10", five and there were growing pains associated with that, right? But other than just the awkward, we can get off that now, <laughs> other than the awkward picture, right, there's growing pains that you go through in your life, um, just figuring out who you are, right? As I went through high school, I was figuring out who I wanted to be, who God created me to be, what I wanted to do with my life. I went off to college, and man, I learned some really, really hard lessons. Or, I'm sorry, I learned some really great lessons, but I learned them the hard way, right? I learned these great lessons, but I learned them the hard way, but I wouldn't be who I am today without some of those lessons, right? I could share lots of stories. But the thing is, the best growth happens in the dirt and in the rain, right? The best growth happens in the dirt and the rain. And so what is the dirt around you today? What is the rain falling on you today? I'm not trying to diminish what you're going through, but what I am saying is that there is an opportunity for growth there. It's what we do with it that matters. We can either choose to become bitter or better, right? And so when you have this dirt and this rain, instead of asking God, why God, why me? How about we just ask him, what are you trying to do in me? What can I do with this? How can I grow in this discomfort? How can I grow in this pain? How can I grow amongst all this dirt that's surrounding me? Our faith has to have fruit and I know this for sure that all Christians have the same calling to be mature in their faith. Okay real quick, the last point. Hebrews 6, 12, it says, we do not want you to become lazy, but to imitate those who through faith and patience inherit what has been promised. And now this scripture, he's primarily talking about Abraham and this, to the the Jesus-believing Jews, but it made me think, imitate, right? And it made me think, who am I imitating? Who am I imitating? And then I thought even further, which might be the better question, is who is imitating me? Like, am I, worth, am I someone worth imitating? Am I someone that I would want, like, my future children to imitate? I think it's an important question. And who we surround ourselves with is so important because your faith has friends. And your friends have got to be godly. Right? I'm not saying don't have any friends who aren't Christians, but your, your primary group, those people that you spend the most time with, it's got to be a godly community. If I were to ask you today... Um, Is there one person in your life who helped you come to know Christ? I think all of us probably had somebody just like that just pop into our head. Like, yeah, I remember that, that person. They showed me Christ, they helped me get saved. But what if I asked you can you think of one person in your life that you have helped know Christ? We can think of who has helped us, but who have we helped? Are we pouring into those that are, that are spiritually younger than us, right? Just because someone might be 20 years older than you, they might be, they might be five years younger than you when it comes to their faith, right? And with our next generation, this, it's something that's on my heart, something I'm passionate about. I, I serve as the campus pastor over at Warner. And our next generation, they need us, right? They need us. They need us to show them that being holy, that being righteous, is something that's attainable, because the world's not going to do it. The world's not going to do it. And, and Pastor Michael said something the other day that really stuck with me. Um, forgive me if I say it wrong, but he said, someone's going to win them over. Somebody's going to do it. So is it going to be the church or is it going to be the world? And it's up to us. We don't have to understand everyone to show them Christ's love. We just have to love them. We have to show them what a relationship with God looks like. And so I think it's essential that we are pouring into the next generation, that we're pouring into our community, but also um, that we are surrounding ourselves with a godly community because that is essential to our growth. God created us for relationship, right? We were created by him, for him, and we were created to be in relationship with him and others. And so we know it's important to our growth. I know it was super, super important to mine. So who are you surrounding yourself with? So those are my my three steps. Your faith it has foundation, right? We have to build our life on the word. Our faith has fruit, right? As we build, we should be producing a useful crop to those around us. And then your faith has friends. Who are you spending your time with? And so as we close. Um, I just wanna say that if you're here this morning, just as we sang in that song, it's God's breath that's in your lungs, right? And so if you're here, his breath's in your lungs, which means that he's not done with you. I don't care how young you are, I don't care how old you are, God's not done with you yet. He has purpose for your life, he has plans for your life. You are still becoming. You have not yet, yet reached the goal, right? Not until we're with him face to face. On this side of eternity, growth never stops. We have to be continually becoming mature in our faith. It's it's essential. So he's not done with you. You're still becoming. There's more growth to be had. And I think one of the most beautiful things about building your life upon Jesus and his word is that it doesn't ever have to stop. He can build something in your life bigger and better than you could dream or imagine. Do we believe that this morning? He can. You just have to grab hold of it. He's there, he's waiting, but we have to grab hold of it. So as we reflect here, we're gonna sing, I love this song, Build My Life. We've we've sang this a lot, but I want you to really look at the words, right? We're talking about building our life on a firm foundation, which we already know, it's Jesus Christ. But let's take a look as we sing, as we praise God, let's take a look at our own lives and let's ask ourselves some questions, Right? What is my foundation? Am I bearing fruit? Am I hanging out with the right people? Am I building up other people's lives? Do I have people in my life who, who are building my life up, who are encouraging me? Your faith has foundation, fruit, and friends.
0: Thanks for joining us at Whitechapel Church Online. We pray that today's sermon blessed you you'll continue to join us as we lean into God's word together. Until next time, have a great week.